Thanks, Isaac. Hey, guys. We got a little business to take care of before we get started. This is the golden pin. It has got a fine history of Turkey Bowl winners starting in 2020 with a young man named Caleb Martin. He set the legacy here at Miles City. And in 2021, it was handed off to one. I don't know what happened to that guy. He might be dead. I'm not sure. But then that last year, Bryson Begley won. And tonight, is somebody booing? <laughs> wow. And tonight we have a new champion crowned. Some of you were watching, some of you weren't. It came down to two high schoolers again. Shout out to Jamie Anderson for being the last middle schooler standing once again. Great job, Jamie. But it came down to a guy versus a girl. It was Brandon versus Lauren. One turkey toss for all of it. They threw at the same time. One landed nine, one threw a strike, and our turkey bowl champion is Lauren Hamlin. Lauren. Come take your golden pin. Please sign it and hang on to it. We're going to need you to uh, do some photo ops with that. Also, Lauren is on our merch team and you get discounts. Talk to her about that. Right, Lauren? All right. Hey, uh, we normally do announcements after the lesson. I want to tell you about one announcement. Now, I know just because you come to drive on Wednesdays doesn't mean Miles City is your home church. And we're not in the business of saying, oh, leave your church and come to ours. We're just happy you're in church. But I would like to invite you this Sunday to Miles City, uh, specifically to the 1115 service, because three of our students are being baptized. And we're excited for that. Um, I don't think Simeon's here tonight, is he? Simeon's getting baptized. Brandon's getting baptized. And Aislinn's getting baptized. All right. So come support them and, uh, like, cheer and yell and just go crazy with it. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. We're doing a new lesson series tonight. It's called Adore Him. It's uh, Christmas time. And so that's taken right out of a Christmas song. Uh, questions after, okay? Uh, but we won't be really getting into the Christmas story tonight. Maybe as we get into week two and week three, we'll tie it in with Christmas a little bit. Instead, we're going to be using this season where we celebrate the birth of Christ to talk about what we do with that news, the news that God became flesh and lived among us, that he came into this world and he lived and died for us and, and, and that he wants us to know him and love him and follow him. When we begin to understand just how great and awesome God is, our response should be to worship him. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about worship. We're going to be talking about what that looks like and what that feels like and things like that. And uh, as I was thinking about worship and Christmas, what came to mind for me is a baseball story. And I know that doesn't make sense, but I'm going to tell the story and then we'll come back to it at the end and tie it in. Um, when I was a kid, I played Little League Baseball. And I was not the best. I was, I was okay. I was not horrible. But I was far from a great player. And uh, any kid who's ever played sports has gone in their backyard and played and pretended to be in the big game. It, whether it's the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series. I know if I've done it once, I've done it a thousand times. I could not tell you how many times in my backyard I either had my wiffle bat or my metal bat. And I was throwing a ball up and pretending it's game seven, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, down three, and at the plate is Jordan Duncan. And I throw that ball up and try and hit it over my house. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. And of course, anytime I didn't, I'd be like, oh, we fouled it off. And I'd just lie to myself because I was a bad person. I don't know. And a lot of us who grew up playing sports had those scenarios. But when I was about 11 years old, I had as close to a real-life scenario as that is possible. I was on my Little League team. And we were in the playoffs. Uh, it was like a district playoff. And if we won, we advanced to like a regionals. And sure enough, bottom, we had seven inning games. Bottom of the seventh, bases loaded, tie game. I'm at bat. Uh, I about pooped my pants, by the way. All right, I was nervous. I was terrified. I still remember a lot of it vividly. So we were in an 11 and a 12-year-old league. I was 11. 
Uh, so the, I was on the younger side. I remember the kid who was pitching. His name was Ryan Gunther. And Ryan was a terrifying human being. I don't know any 12-year-olds who have a full mustache. He had one. Like, I don't know how he drove to the games by himself. Nobody believed this guy was 12. How can a 12-year-old have a 7-year-old son? I don't believe that he was 12. He was scary. He was terrifying. And he threw the ball as hard as I had ever seen a person throwing. And he's pitching. And I'm hitting. And as I'm walking to the plate, all those memories of pretending to be the hero are swirling in my brain. And I'm thinking, I can be the hero and then I realized, I'm not that good, I'm going to fail. First pitch, as I stepped into the box, I lined it up, I was ready. First pitch came a little close to my head, I jumped backwards about 50 feet, fell to the ground, and in my mind, I'm like, nope, I'm done, we're going to have to go to extra innings, I am not getting this winning run in now. I was terrified. Stood up, next pitch, dove out of the way again. Because I was scared. That one wasn't even close to hitting me. Third pitch, right down the middle. I still backed out. I was still afraid. Called it a strike. At this point, my coach calls a timeout, comes and talks to me. He looks me in the eye and says, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to be confident and you can't be afraid. Get in there and hit that ball. And I stood up. I'm telling you, it's like the Sandlot or any baseball movie. I stood up. I spit in my hands. <laughs> All right, mustache, I'm taking you, I'm taking you deep. Stood up, I waited for it, and I, he threw a nice a meatball right down the middle. I lined it up, I swung, I crushed it, you guys. Like sweet spot. I crushed it. It was going. It landed in the parking lot, but the parking lot was behind the first baseline. It was about 40 feet foul. <laughs> but still, I was like, when I did that, I'm like, hang on, I can hit this guy. So now my confidence is there. Now he's shaking. He's like, oh, my mustache is sweaty. I'm like, yeah, that's right. It's about to be bloody. I'm going to hit it right off your face. I get in there one more time. I'm ready. In my mind, I'm like, I'm the hero. I'm going to win. We're going to do this. Here comes the pitch. I'm not getting out of the way. I'm not getting out of the way. I'm not going to swing. Boom. Hit me right in the elbow. And I went down like I was dead. I went down like Kevin at Students Giving, you guys. Like, it was rough. Kev, Kevin's good. Are we glad Kevin's good? I'm glad Kevin's good. I went down in a heap, and listen, as an 11-year-old boy, you don't want to cry in front of your friends. I didn't care. It was the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. I've never been shot with a gun. It can't be that much worse than what I felt that day at Little League. I'm just screaming, ah, my arm, ah, I'm just screaming and screaming and screaming. But you know what happens when you get hit by a pitch, right? You take your base, and we won the game. All it cost me was my arm. I never played, I did play again, but <laughs> we won the game. And I remember that story as I was studying up on this lesson. And I'm going to come back to it in a couple of minutes and explain why baseball and why getting hit by a pitch from what I feel still to this day was a grown man has anything to do with worship. All right? So we'll come back to that. But the next week we're going to be talking about wor worship. And here's the question we want you to think about. What is true worship? See, we hear that word as we come to church, we hear the word worship, and we hear it a lot in church, and some, some of us define it differently. If I were to go down the aisle with a microphone and say, what is worship to you? Someone sitting next to you might have a different definition than you, but what we really want to explore is what is God's definition of worship? Because you and I might have different, different viewpoints of what worship looks like, but what God says worship is, is what matters most. We're going to key in on a passage tonight from Hebrews chapter 13. Let's go ahead and read that together. Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16 says, 
Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We're going to key in on this verse. We're going to read it a couple times tonight. But the first part I want to highlight is where it says, offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I think when we hear worship, a lot of us, our default response, our default answer is kind of what we just did, worship music, right? If I say, what does worship look like to you, you would probably describe uh, a music setting. You would probably talk about songs that you listen to. You would probably maybe talk about your playlist or this or that. But lips that acknowledge his name, that's exactly what we're doing when we're singing worship songs. We are singing to God. And while, while it is listed there in Hebrews, it's not the only thing that's listed. And here's one huge thing that you need to know. Worship is not just music. And I think a lot of us are aware of that. We would say, yeah, I know that. And yet, when we think of worship, we default to that so often. Now, I'm not saying that what we do during music is not worship. We absolutely worship through music. I, I sit usually in the back, and that's usually when I, I have to take attendance every week. And that's usually when I'm counting people. If you ever see me just popping buttons on my phone, I'm not like playing, you know, Candy Crush or something. I'm counting how many of you guys are here. But I'm watching you guys sing. And I see people put their hands up, and I see people put their hands out, and people close their eyes, and I can tell the people who are really into it, and I can tell some people not aren't. And then there's some people who, who are singing, and I can tell they're singing, but their hands are in their pockets. That's okay, too. You know, I grew up in a church where it was kind of like looked down upon to raise your hands and stuff, and so like for a long time, that was uncomfortable for me, like to even see other people do it. I'm like, ooh, that feels weird. And so like it's still kind of tough for me. Every once in a while I'll do it. But I, I'm not a guy who really puts his hands, hands up. Also, I don't want my gut to hang out of my shirt. You know, but that's just me. Like I'm very aware of that stuff. But I still can worship through song. Some of you guys like to jump. Some of you guys like to yell. Some of you guys like to get quiet. But we can worship through song. You know, when, 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 when you raise your hands or you close your eyes and that you get that, that emotional and spiritual hold you know that feeling, right, of, of worship, whether it's here, whether it's at camp, whether it's on a Sunday or things like that. And when you're feeling that and you start singing, not just to sing, but you're singing to God, that is true, authentic worship. That is absolutely worship. But what I want to talk about tonight is that is not all that worship is. Some of us think that's all there is to worship is a 15 to 20 minute block on Wednesday nights and Sundays. Listen, worship goes way beyond Isaac leading us in a couple songs. Worship goes way deeper than whatever Brandon Lake has just put out. A lot of people think that's all there is, is how do I sing? Let me ask, what do you think God wants out of you? What do you think God wants from your life? Do you think he wants you to live how you want to live and do whatever you want to do as long as you sing a couple songs authentically to him? No. God wants more than just 15 minutes of your time every Wednesday. God doesn't want you just to raise your hands from 7.20 to 7.45 according to the schedule. Because when we do that, we're lifting up empty hands of praise. God doesn't want your praise and your worship to be empty. Worship goes way beyond that. Worship is not a moment. It is a daily choice we make with our life. Just like you can worship God by raising your hands or closing your eyes or singing, singing to him. You worship God by choosing your words wisely in conversa conversation. You worship God by, by staring down that temptation of sin and choosing to walk away from it. You can worship God by loving others and forgiving them just like Jesus would do. Worship can be found in every single thing that we are doing and if we are responsive to his desire for us. You could think of it like this. Worship is a daily expression of obedience. What does worship look like? Worship is 
obedience. When we go back to the verse in Hebrews, it tells us that sacrifice is pleasing to God. If you read your Bible, actually, if you go on like Bible Gateway, that's the website I use, Bible Gateway, or if you have the Bible app and you search worship, the first time that worship appears in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. It's in chapter 22, verse 4 and 5. Let's go ahead and read that. It says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So in this verse, the first time we hear the word worship in the Bible, Abraham says, I'm going to go up this mountain and I'm going to worship. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. I'm going to tell a little bit of it. I'm going to try and quickly go through it. Abraham was very faithful to God. Abraham was a man who, who was faithful to God right up until the end. He, he, was, he, was, he was obedient to God. And when God would tell Abraham to do things, he would do it. And God made Abraham a promise. And you might know this, you might not. But God's promise to Abraham was that, your, Abraham, your family line is going to be so vast, so big. Your family tree is going to be so giant. To try and count up the people that are descended from you is going to be like trying to count the stars in the sky, Abraham. That's a promise that God made to Abraham. And Abraham was faithful to God. And so at the time of this story in Genesis 22, Abraham has only had one kid. And he's an old man. I believe he's in his 80s or 90s. He's got one son. So God promises your family's going to be so big, people won't even be able to count it. And Abraham's getting old and he's getting close to death. And he's like, I got nobody. And then he has one kid. He's like, okay, I got one. There's a lot more stars in the sky than one God. And I don't know if Abraham ever doubted God. I don't know if he ever lost trust or lost faith. But I think what we see here is that at least in this moment, he didn't. So Abraham has this one kid. His name was Isaac. My oldest son's name is Isaac too. And God tells Abraham something really wild. You know, if you read the story, he says, Abraham, take your son. Go up the mountain. Put your son on the altar and sacrifice him to me. And it's exactly what it sounds like. God is telling Abraham, sacrifice your son's life to me. And so that's what Abraham was doing in that verse we just read. The first time worship is ever listed, Abraham is probably heartbroken. I'm guessing it was not a pleasant trip up a mountain. There was probably no songs being sung. I doubt Abraham was walking up the mountain leading his son to what he thought was his death singing. As long as I'm singing. I don't think he's doing that. He's probably not that happy. But he was obedient. There's no guitars at the top of the mountain. There's no drums or anything listed. He went up to go sacrifice to God what God had given him. And he said, I'm going to worship. So to Abraham, worship was, I'm going to give back to God what he has given to me. My greatest gift that God has given me, my son, I'm going to give him back. When we offer sacrifice to God, we worship him. Now the story ends, if you don't know, Isaac is spared. He doesn't have to kill his son. He doesn't have to sacrifice his son. Isaac is spared. Nobody dies. But Abraham was willing to do that. And we see as we enter into the Christmas season that God is willing to do the same. God did sacrifice his son for us. But Abraham was willing to put his son on the altar of sacrifice for God. So the question as it relates to worship is, what are the things you need to put on the altar of your life? What are some of the things that God has given you that maybe you need to give back to him or be willing to give back to him? Maybe it's a sin that you're holding on to. If it's a sin, God didn't give you that, by the way. If it's a sin, absolutely be willing to hand that over to God and say, you take it. I don't want this anymore. But it's, maybe it's a grudge that you're holding on to. 
Maybe it's not sin, but it's something that takes your focus off of God. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're just so in love with this boyfriend or girlfriend. Or maybe you've just got the best group of friends you've ever had and you're so happy with that. And that is awesome and that is a blessing and those are things that God gives us. But are you willing to give those things up in order to be obedient to God? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a job. Does it have your attention or focus more than God does? Maybe it's your temper, your doubts. There's so many things that it could be, you guys. Are you willing to worship God by placing that thing on the altar if he asks you to? True worship is living to please God. One of the best ways we can sacrifice is by imitating. Look what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. Do we have those verses? Yeah, we do. Awesome, cool. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You guys, to be a true worshiper of God is to live to please God. It's not just music. We need to live to please God. Not just singing the right time at the service. Not just saying, well, I'll give this up, you know, because I want to look good. We, want, we need to give those things up because we know that it brings God pleasure to sacrifice to him, to be obedient to him. The totality of your faith should not be evident in your Wednesday night attendance and nothing else. I love how faithful so many of you guys are. I love that I can count on so many of you being here. It's awesome. It's so cool that so many of you guys have, have decided every Wednesday, I'm going to be at Drive. That's awesome. I love that so many of you guys who come to Miles City are here every Sunday. Some of you guys serve and kids and upstairs. That is so incredible. But your Christian life should not begin and end within these walls. It needs to be an everyday, everywhere we go experience. Here's the challenge question. Are you imitating God or are you imitating the world? When we imitate God... It leads to us sacrificing those things that we need to get rid of, like sin and, and grudges and, and hostility and things like that. But also being willing to give up the things that maybe we don't have to get rid of. But it's just not God, so it's not the most important thing to me. With Abraham, he didn't end up sacrificing his son. But he did show he was willing to remove any obstacle that stood between him and God. That would put him between faithful worshiper and false worship. What Abraham was doing was giving back to God what he already gave to him. And that's what we need to be willing to do. When we view it that way, it doesn't seem like sacrifice so much as it seems like worship. God, you gave me this, so I'm willing to offer it up for you. Some of you guys are great at sports. You're so good. I, I love being able to come and watch some of you guys play. And I feel very old watching you guys do it. I'm like, man, back in the day, I could not do that either. <laughs> like even when I was young, I wasn't as good as some of you guys are. Can I tell you something? You can use your athletic ability for God. You can say, God, I'm going to give this back to you. Everything I do on the court, everything I do on the field, everything I do in the arena is going to be to glorify you. It's not going to be about me. Some of you guys excel in the classroom. You're just, you just got these minds that blow people away. There's a kid in here who got almost a perfect score in an ACT. That's insane. I got a 32 on my ACT because I took it seven times and I added up all the scores. I'm not, but listen, your mind, your intellect is something that you can say, God, I'm going to use this for you. I'm going to use this to glorify you. Some of you guys are social butterflies. You can just get along with anybody. Anyone who's around, you can make them feel welcome. You can make them feel accepted. You can bring anybody in. That person who's standing on the wall that's super shy, you can make them feel welcome. You can use that ability and say, God, this is going to be for your glory. I'm going to make that person feel known and seen and loved when they come here. I'm not going to leave anyone out. Let's look at Hebrews one more time. Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. 
the first fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we talked about tonight is that it's not just praise and worship we do. It's obedience and sacrifice to imitate God. And I started with that baseball story. Let me go back to that. Here's why it came to my mind, all right? The story ends with my team celebrating. The game didn't end until I stood up. I had to stand up in pain, and my coach had to walk me down. I was such a sissy. I had to walk down and touch the base. And as soon as I touched the base, my team swarmed me. We were jumping up and down. We were screaming. We were yelling. And when that happened, all of a sudden, the pain went away. It came back. But in that moment, I didn't feel nothing. I was jumping. I was screaming. I was yelling. It was awesome. I took my base. I made it official. We won. We eliminated Mustache. He went home crying to his wife and kids, you know. Uh, but <laughs> it was awesome. And that's kind of like what praise and worship is. We have those moments where we come together and we jump and we yell and we praise. And that pain that we feel for the moment goes away. That's what praise and worship can do. You know, and the whole time I was thinking about it. What got us there? What got us to that moment of praise? I was obedient to my coach. He said, stay in the batter's box. I did not want to. But I also didn't want to let him down. And so despite my fear and despite my worry that I was going to get hit and die, I stayed in there. I was obedient. I was scared to death of that pitcher, but I stayed in there. I made a sacrifice. I ended up giving up my body. Not intentionally. If you had told me, hey, he's going to hit you in the elbow and it's going to hurt for days, I'd be like, no, we can lose. I'm fine with that, you know. But I gave, up some, I gave it up for something greater. The pain hurt, but it was worth it. And the whole time, I was imitating what I had seen in my coaches and other players watching the Tigers on TV. I had the stance just like Mickey Tettleton back in the day. I... I I was an imitator of other baseball players that I had seen. Now, I wouldn't say that what I did on that baseball field was worshiping God, but you can worship God in the field. You can worship God at your job, in fourth hour, on Snapchat, in text messages. You can worship God and you should worship God wherever we are. Worship is not confined to here. It's not confined to church. It's so much more. It's not just singing. It's living. It's obedience. And it's sacrifice. So my question to you tonight, guys, is are you living a life of worship? And if not, are you willing to live a life of worship? You might say, well, why should I be willing to do that? I'm so glad you didn't ask, but I acted like you did. The reason we should be willing to worship God with everything we have is because he's worth it. We're entering into a Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But if he just came to be born and die, that'd be noble, but it wouldn't get us anywhere. Jesus lived, he did not sin, he died, and he conquered death. Because he lives, he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of everything that we can give him because he is God. Now here's what I want you to understand. He doesn't need your worship. If you choose, I'm not going to worship God, it's, gonna, it's not going to shake him off the throne. He's not going to lose his job. God knows who he is. God knows what he is. And God knows what he deserves. It's up to you to offer it to him. So will you do that tonight? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, I've never really even made talk about this Jesus thing. Well, the first act of worship is to call him Savior. It's to call him Lord. It's real simple. We sang the song, you will be saved. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You say, why is that so easy, Jordan? Because Jesus did all the work for us. 
Jesus died for you so you wouldn't have to die for him. Jesus bled for us. Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus did for you so that we could be with him. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you the chance to do that tonight. Let's close with a word of prayer. And then we'll finish with announcements. Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the corporate worship that we had where we could sing our songs and lift up our hands. And we thank you for the, the praise and, and, and the group praise. Uh, God, I'm so thankful that we have a group that can come together and jump with each other and sing with each other and lean on each other and worship with each other. But God, as we go out of these doors, I pray that you give these students wisdom and courage and commitment to be obedient to you, to make the sacrifices they need to make to honor you and to worship you. Let us be a youth ministry that is known not just for singing loud, but for living for you. Let us live loud for you, Jesus. Because you lived for us and you died for us. You are worthy of all the worship we can give you. Let us never run out. Let us never run dry. And let us never grow tired of worshiping you. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.